The scripture this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word. I have written you in my letter not to associate with, the sexually, with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters, In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the word of the Lord? One announcement um, that I wasn't aware of, but I want to share with you. Um, Many of you know that we're going to have a funeral this coming Saturday for Shirley Powers. And Sally Howell is coordinating that meal. And she has a food sign-up sheet out there in the, on the table, in the foyer. Um, we're expecting, uh, I think somebody told me, one of the powers told me that there are just 70 family members. Gonna, it's almost as bad as the Newtons. And, um, that will be here. So um, we're going to need quite a bit of help with that. And I think uh, yesterday was pretty indicative that we'll get it. But... There is a sign-up sheet. That will make Sally feel better in the planning process, too. So help her out that way, if you would. Well, we're continuing in this series that I began a few weeks ago entitled Lies and Truth's Clothing. Uh, we know there, uh, in the world we live in, there are a lot of lies told that are contrary to Scripture. Even in the church, sometimes pa- Scripture gets passage, uh, passage. Scripture passages get misunderstood or twisted or misquoted and and then people run with that and believe that that's what it says or what it means and so we're we're going through a process of trying to correct some of that thinking today we are not supposed to judge anyone before uh, now I'm I'm actually going to be taking us through the bulk of maybe all of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. I will take us all through. But I want to start with this, because this is that thinking we are not supposed to judge anyone often comes from this verse in Matthew, chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged, or judge not that ye be not judged. That's a different version. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me for a minute, would you? Look that up in, in the Bible there that you have in the pew or that you brought with you today. Give you just a moment to find it because uh, that's true. That's what Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says. But I think we need to keep reading. We need to keep reading. So here we go. Do not judge or you too will be judged for the same way you judge others. Or excuse me, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, or depending on the version you've got, log, in your own eye? Boy, that would hurt. Specks hurt. I can't imagine a log. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Oh, so I did see a speck there. Okay, let's get back over to... Turn back over to First um, Corinthians chapter five. We uh, here, here's some things that we are promoted uh, that are considered virtuous in the culture we live in. Open-mindedness. We need to be open-minded about things. It's considered one of the highest of all character qualities in the day that we live in. I'm all for keeping an open mind in the good sense of what it used to mean. But unfortunately, the open mind in the 21st century is a mind which says there is no such thing as absolute truth. What's true for you is not true for me. And I don't know how in the world you figure that out, but some people say that. Vice versa, truth is relative to the circumstances. Truth is constantly changing. Have you ever heard these these things? It's just... You might as well be standing on shifting sands, right? There was a time in our lifetime when you could appeal to the Bible in, in regarding controversy. Even among the general public, you could appeal to the Bible and that would often settle it because this was the truth. Still is. But... People don't view it that way any longer. Much of society today believes that the Bible is kind of this old-fashioned, outdated thing. And, and you kind of take what you like the sound of and you leave the rest. You know, it says some good things, but hey, let's keep an open mind. And then uh, there's this idea of total acceptance. We're expected today by those around us to accept the behavior of everyone around us, no matter what that behavior is. You know what the cry is? Tolerance. And the price of intolerance then means you're labeled as a bigot or mean-spirited or something like that. And even in the church, unfortunately, there are some who expect that everyone should accept their behavior no matter what it is. Remember that you can like it or you can lump it. I haven't heard anybody say that in a long time. But And if anyone dares to question that behavior, and we're speaking of sinful behavior here, then you know what they say. You can't judge me. And we can, we can see clearly the flaws in this way of thinking. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. These attitudes have crept into the church of Jesus Christ. 
So is it ever appropriate for Christians to judge others? Well, what we just read in Matthew, I think, helps us to get a little better picture of that. I think Jesus is saying there, don't have a critical and harsh attitude. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But listen, if he's caught in a sin, you've made a judgment, have you, haven't you, that that is a sin. But we're to restore him gently. Oh, but be careful, he says, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Don't get to feeling too high and mighty about that, by the way. So, is it ever appropriate for Christians to judge others? Well, we're going to try to find out how the Scripture answers that question today. See, the world too frequently, excuse me, the church too frequently judges the world and refuses to judge the church. You know, we're, we're quick to say, well, that's wrong, that's sin, and we're probably right. But as my wife says, I don't know how recently you've said it, but she's wondering, what's he going to say now? <laughs> when someone who is not a Christian commits sin, they are only acting naturally. We are never to be judgmental, but we are to use good judgment. Good judgment requires that we discern what is right and what is wrong, and here's our guide for that. I found this um, illustration. It's from a pastor. He, he says, when I was in Bible college, I met an interesting young man by the name of Shannon. What made him interesting were his looks. His hair was a different color each week. His ears were loaded with earrings, and he wore the big, loose, grungy-style clothing. But the most interesting point of style was his shorts. He always wore shorts regardless of the weather. I've known some people like that. <laughs> what made his shorts so odd was the way he wore them. You see, he always wore his shorts backwards. Interesting character. As you can imagine, anyone who dressed like that at a Bible college stuck out like a sore thumb. One day I couldn't stand it any longer and my judgmental sarcasm got the best of me and I had to make a crack about his shorts. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> to my surprise, he was ready for my criticism. Shannon turned to me and said, I'll tell you, Grand Celine, now, he said, uh, that's what everyone called me in this certain class. That's an interesting name. But just like I tell everyone else who asks me why I wear my shorts backwards, I tell them that God turned my life around so fast that my shorts couldn't keep up. The author says, something interesting happened as that semester progressed. I began to see through Shannon's actions, class participation, research papers, and prayers that he was a very spiritual man. 
My initial reaction to Shannon was, on, was one of rejection. But when I saw past my bias to his heart, my rejection soon, to, soon turned to respect. See, judgmental has to do with condemning. Often relates to what Paul refers to as disputable matters. In other words, it's something we may think is wrong, but that Scripture does not clearly address. Judgmental is concerned with letting someone know how wrong they are without being concerned about repentance and restoration. Judgment is the ultimate expression of love. It is love shouting a warning because it cares deeply. If you had one of those, well, we have a lot of lakes and ponds in this neck of the woods. And if you've had a winter like we've had, where we've had some mornings that have been below zero, and you knew how thick or thin the ice on the pond or lake behind your house was, and you saw a friend walking out on it, and you knew that it probably wouldn't hold their weight because it's not thick enough yet, would you just stand there and watch them continue on? And there are a lot of people, spiritually, who end up on thin ice. And we need to warn them. See, the whole purpose of confronting sin is not to get even. It's not to get rid of someone. It's about bringing an erring brother or sister to a place of repentance. And the goal is always restoration. Authentic community can only be maintained when sin is judged because sin undealt with is destructive to the community, to the body. We are to be accountable to one another in the body of Christ. Remember uh, way back in the Old Testament, the Israelites are entering the land of Canaan. They've just taken Jericho in this amazing way. And now there's this little place called Ai that's next. And they go against Ai, which should have been, you know, a walk in the park, and they get defeated. No oh my, they're mourning and wailing, and Joshua goes before the Lord and said, What happened? And God tells him, Israel sinned. Israel sinned, and it cost it cost it cost all of Israel. Achan, this man, when when he'd taken things that God said were to be totally devoted to him, keep your hands off. When he took those things and hid them in his tent, God knew. And because this one man committed this sin. All of Israel suffered for it. We're to be accountable to one another in the body of Christ because sin undealt with can be destructive to the community. So how and when should we confront sin? Well, number one, judgment is called to action when a Christian sin becomes known either publicly or privately. Again, 
We do this with the understanding that sin can do damage to the individual and hurt the testimony of the church. We confront professing Christians and not unbelievers regarding sin. And we're to make sure of our motives. Our goal is always reconciliation and honoring God. And we should not be talking to others about the sin, but rather are to talk only to the one or ones involved. This isn't about gossiping about, hey, guess what? And if the individual will not listen to us, then we should involve another Christian who is mature, wise, and has the respect of the one who is being confronted. And remember the goal, reconciliation and the integrity of God's name. And confession of sin should be as private or as public as the sin committed. Sin privately, repent privately. Sin publicly, repent publicly. It is assumed that the letters that Paul and the apostles wrote to different churches as they arrived to them would be read when they met together as a congregation for worship. The people would have loved the beginning of and sometimes the endings of Paul's letters, especially when he would greet certain people by name. Hey, Paul just talked about me in his letter. I mean, there was this sense of pride in being greeted personally by an apostle. But here in the middle of this letter to the Corinthians... Um, Paul gets personal, but it's not the type of mention that someone would want. Could you imagine how embarrassed this man that was living in this particular sin must have been to be publicly mentioned like this? Well, Paul took the mindset that the man's sin was public knowledge, so he addressed it publicly. I had a pastor friend when I was on the Northwest District. His son was on staff, was in a relationship with a young lady, and she became pregnant. They were not married. And so that sin was confronted, and it was confronted publicly because it was pretty obvious after a while that this young lady was pregnant. And so... It was dealt with publicly. Repentance was made publicly. I was thinking, wow. What a difficult thing that must have been for them. And while we are warned not to judge one another's motives, we are commanded to judge one another's conduct. Because we can't determine people's motives, can we? I mean... So judging, um, judging conduct and not motive is... The, well, that's why you don't tell the police officer who pulls you over and tickets you, you're judging me. <laughs> He'd say, yes, I guess I am. But he's not judging your motives, he's judging your conduct. And in, first, in this passage in Corinthians, actually through the entire chapter... 
Paul gives three reasons why the church is to exercise loving but firm discipline. In other words, why we need to make judgments. And first of all, why we should confront sin is for the good of the offender. The first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. And when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. What's the ultimate goal there? It's restoration. It's reconciliation. Paul does not want this individual to spend eternity in hell. He wants him to be saved. Now, what Paul says here sounds harsh. See, what, what the church was dealing with here was someone who was engaging in ongoing sin and was obviously unrepentant. And Paul said, confront this sin and hand this man over to Satan. Now, what's that mean? Well, let me quote to you from the communicator's commentary because they address this. At the time Paul was writing, the world was considered Satan's realm. I think it still is, right? He's, he's the prince of the power of the air. Those who read the statement probably under, understood it to mean put him out of the church. Paul did not view the action as punishment, but as having a redemptive purpose both for the man and the church. As painful as the experience would be, Paul felt that it might bring the man to his senses and cause him to see what he was doing and repent. As long as our friends within the Christian community community help us to rationalize our sins, we are not likely to do anything to change. But when in love, but when in love, we are confronted with what we are doing and are forced to look at ourselves through different eyes, we, we are more likely to begin to examine our lives. That is what happened to King David. Until he had to look at his lust and adultery and murder and deceit through the prophet Nathan's eyes, he never considered changing. Nothing loving, there's nothing loving about letting a brother or sister in Christ continue in sin. And all the people said, <laughs> See, we should be concerned about an individual's present and eternal welfare, knowing the destructiveness that sin can bring in one's life. You've, you've probably heard this saying before, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And not only does sin have consequences, but also each time we sin, we reinforce a pattern that becomes harder and harder to break. If we persist in sin with the thought that one day we will get right with God... We should remind ourselves that God may still be there to forgive and restore, but we may not be. 
Someone has said, sin has a diminishing factor to it. It always gives its best in the beginning and never gets better after that. It only gets worse. And remember, when dealing with individuals, the goal is repentance and reconciliation. The second reason we should judge or confront is for the good of the church. Verses 6 through 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So what Paul is saying here is this sin taking in the church can spread through the whole loaf. You know, you have to wonder how far the news of this, this sin in the church at Corinth had spread throughout the community. Paul said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. How did Paul find out about this sin? How did, how did this get back to him? Since the, since the beginning of the church establishment, the church's establishment, people in the world have been trying to find fault with the church and with Christians. So happening, isn't it? Well, the last thing we need to do is, need to do is give, him, give them ammunition, right? That's the last thing we need to do. It, it almost seems as if the world rejoices, rejoices when a Christian person's sins are made public knowledge. <laughs> oh, yeah, we knew it. Why is it that when a well-known Christian personality gets into moral dilemma, a moral dilemma that it makes big news? But when those same sins are committed countless times every day, it does not make a difference to anyone outside the church. In the rest of the world, those sins are committed, or even, even among people well-known who are not professing believers. Yeah, that's just it's the way we do things now. That's okay. Those things are accepted in our world. The reason why is because the world knows that those individuals, those in the church, are called to a higher standard and that they've compromised their integrity. Paul told the church in Corinth that the things they were going, that were going on there are things that not even pagans should do. This man's sin was bad enough that it affected him, the other person involved, the rest of his family, but the worst thing is that it affected the entire church body. And this left the community talking and wondering about some things. See, they would have been able then to use the hypocrites in the church excuse. They would have seen actions that did not fit with the testimony of the church. They could have had the attitude that if that is how Christians live, then why do I need to change? And unfortunately, the world tends to pick up on those things. You can do everything right for a long period of time, even over a matter of years, and then when one mess up, 
And that's what people will remember about you. UCLA sociologist James Wilson has observed an interesting fact about city life. The crime rate escalates on those streets where broken windows are not repaired. Hmm. His study showed that the failure to replace windows makes an announcement to the public by saying the standards have been lowered and authority has been abandoned. Wilson sees such practices of disrepair as an invitation for further crime without the threat of adverse consequences. What is true on the street, he says, is also true in the church. If we allow sin and unscriptural practices to go unchecked, we are inviting destruction into the Lord's church. And then, the reason we confront and judge is for the good of the world. The text that Dean read for us today, I have written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who, is, who calls himself a brother, a Christian, who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And I'm going to read the last verse. God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Listen, we have a ministry to the world and they're watching us. And, and Paul is telling us, you know, when you've got these kind of things... Uh, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. And then he has this whole list of things. Remember, we're, we're told in the Scripture that we are a peculiar people. That doesn't mean we're oddballs or weird. It means that we live differently in the right way. And when, when the watching world sees the same things going on in the church that they see going on in the world... Who needs the church? Who needs Jesus? And that's why Paul is so anxious for the church at Corinth to deal with this. The world needs to see that we live by a different standard and this is not acceptable for Christians. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5-10, through 10, Paul tells us, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. I love that. You used to do that. You don't anymore. You used to walk in these ways in the, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. Ephesians 5. Verses 3 through 11, but among you there must not be even a hint, even a little bit, 
of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. We have an example to set to our world. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. Don't let these things be seen in the church of Jesus Christ. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather by the way you live. I threw that in. Expose them. So, confronting sin in the church, it's for the world as well. Now, I want to... I want to wrap it up with three cautions. Number one, judging is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) Just in case you were thinking, okay, you won't find it in any of the lists, even the extended ones. So let's be clear on that. Number two, if you are eager to or enjoy confronting because you've made a judgment, you've made a judgment, then you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? If you're eager to go to somebody, this, this is a grievous thing. If you're, oh, I finally caught them, big hypocrite. Well, am I going to give them the business? No. If you're eager and enjoy confronting because of a judgment you've made, then you shouldn't be doing it. Your motive is wrong. Number three, Don't confuse personal conviction with sin. I touched on that a little earlier when I mentioned Paul's disputable matters. And I know people who have been confronted about sin when it was somebody's personal conviction. I have a little pamphlet that someone gave me. I dug it out of my files this week. It's it's old. I have no idea when it was printed. It doesn't say on it, but it's entitled... Others may, you cannot. And here's the first paragraph. If God has called you to be really like Jesus, He will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, He will seem to let other people do things which He will not let you do. So he may not be letting you do those things, but it doesn't mean that he hasn't given another believer the freedom to do those things. I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about those issues of, well, um, we have a college friend who was a worship leader in a more, let's say, more conservative part of the country. And it was in a place where it's hot and humid in the summer. And he was out mowing the lawn, and he had on a pair of, you know, like Levi Dockers. Boy, did he get the business for that. Somebody from the church drove by and saw him out there exposing himself <laughs> with his Levi Dockers on. <laughs> you see, that's what I'm saying. 
we're, we're talking about disputable matters here. Things that the, the scripture does not address often. Personal convictions. Okay, I remember Reverend Penn. He was a missionary in the Church of the Nazarene to China. He had some convictions, personal convictions about how you dress. I saw him out weeding the flower bed in his front yard in his black dress pants and white long sleeve dress shirt. Okay, Reverend Penn, if that's that's fine. But if you drive my place, by my place, seeing me out there in a t-shirt and my Levi doctors, I hope you don't have anything to say about that. So we can't have that confusion. God is calling us, yes, there are times when we have to make judgments in the body of Christ. Or sin takes root and it causes problems. But we have to remember, judging is not a spiritual gift. If you're eager or enjoy to confront people because of a judgment you've made, your motive is wrong. And number three, don't confuse personal conviction with sin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the instruction that your word gives us. And, and I think part of the issue with what we've looked at is today is we don't consider the whole of Scripture. We kind of stop sh- short with Matthew 7, verse 1. We don't read on. So, Lord God, help us to, to be people who love and search and know the Scripture so that we can live by it in the way you intended. And Father, I th- you know, I think about convictions. We all have different ones. You know, others may, you cannot. I know there, I remember associating with, with a group of pastors when I, when I was on the coast of Oregon, godly men who, you know, in our conversations sometimes, uh, they, they did things that I could never do. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about those things that I have personal convictions about that were not personal convictions for them. So help us, Lord God, to make sure that if we're going to approach and confront someone, it's about sin and it's not about a personal conviction of ours. We can do more damage than good by doing that. Lord, we, we want to do things right. We want to do it according to your word. Help us to do that. Help us have an understanding of what you're telling us through the Scripture today so that we live it out correctly. And Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.